This is Magnolia Leadership Podcast, heart, soul, and earth aligned. I'm Katherine Miller, a holistic practitioner of 30 years and your host. Join me as we discuss what it means to lead from the sacred feminine. Magnolia Leadership is here to guide you home, remind you of your courage, awaken your deepest knowing, revealing your fullest expression, and supporting your beautiful blossoming. Welcome in. Intuitive coach and author Mara Glatzel explores what it feels like to identify, honor, and advocate for your own needs. Mara is the writer of the book Needy and the host of the Needy podcast, among other things. Topics we discuss today include access points to identify your needs, stepping away from the feeling and experience of urgency, trusting in your own child's special path, leadership in motherhood, doing things less perfectly, really identifying the need beneath the need, messiness in trying to get our needs met through partnership, setting up conditions that allow us to receive when we're unable to ask, reparenting ourselves while we're parenting our children, and the disservice of putting oneself last. This recording picks up right after Mara and I discuss what it's like to allow ourselves to completely mess up, fall apart, and just be in the mess. Let's get into it. Yeah. I'm like still learning how to let myself fall apart. Yes. Say more about, let's get into the meat. (laughs) It has always seemed as though the consequences of falling apart for me are too grave to be worth the relief and the release of the falling apart. And also, (laughs) I'm angry about that because I don't think, you know, no one person should hold so much responsibility and be so un like baseline unsupported mm. by by other people that there's no room for that that falling apart wow it's something that i have just recently started to yeah explore a lot of anger that i have around because i'm like in those moments where i was really and they are they are few and far between i feel like i'm surrounded by people oftentimes who confuse having big feelings for falling apart, which is not what falling apart means to me. And so they'll be like, you're falling apart all the time. I'm like, no, I'm emoting <laughs> at times. <laughs> but falling apart is different, right? Falling apart is, you know, when my oldest daughter, Delphina, uh, she was a twin and I lost her twin at 11 weeks. And there was this period of time, well, first of all, there was this period of time adjusting to the fact that you're going to have twins. And then there's this period of time where, you know, you lose one twin and they're not like, they weren't really sure if Delphina would survive. There was like a three week window where, you know, we had to kind of be firmly into the second trimester when they could say with certainty that, you know, she would, that pregnancy would continue. 
But three weeks is a long time. Oh, really long when your baby's involved. Yeah. And so that was one of the first times in my life where I really fell apart to the point where, you know, I wasn't doing the things that I normally do to keep things on track. And all I wanted to do, I was still so, I had such bad morning sickness and my hormones were all over the place because it was like having one pregnancy, losing the other pregnancy simultaneously. I was already having some postpartum stuff while still pregnant. And what a cocktail. Yeah. And so I was just kind of horizontal and watching Gilmore Girls all the time (laughs) for, for some weeks. And, you know, of course my partner had lost a baby too. And so we were both acting out in these different ways and they're just, it was like, just not compatible. Mm. But yeah, these, these moments where, I don't know, as a person who just like chronically has my shit together and is, feels so much responsibility for so much. It's like aching for being able to put it all down. Mm. And I've let go of having people pick it up and do it perfectly. And we'll definitely settle for functional. But yeah, it's interesting, like what a gift it is to be able to fall apart in such a way that your safety needs are met, are known and met by the people around you. Mm. Um, That is an amazing way to think of it. Yeah. I think as female bodied humans, I don't know anyone who isn't holding a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're, we're kind of built for that in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. and there just is a limit to what we can hold. And sometimes I feel like I just want to set it all down. That's all. I don't need to fall apart. I just need to set the shit down sometimes, mm-hmm. right? All of it, right? So I've been working on some really deeply surrender-oriented practices mm-hmm. that have really helped. Just very like womb-based practices of coming into the womb, into the heart, connected to the earth, and then just getting really heavy and just like in my meditation practice. And something amazing is it feels like a falling apart Mm -hmm. because it's like getting out of the head and getting out of the figuring it all out and coming into the body where it's all happening. Mm -hmm. And then that earth connection, because for me, that's the thing that can hold it. Yeah, absolutely. If I can plug into her power grid and just be like, take it. It's the place, it's the place for me that I trust has my back no matter what. Like it's not a human thing for me. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, she can do it, right? She can hold it. And mm-hmm. for some reason, even just like 10 minutes a day of just take it all. And also for some reason, and I'm kind of, I'm just really deepening in these practices, it's like the holding gets bigger. And somehow it's all held, even as it's surrendered. And it's just been this like amazing, juicy, yummy place. It can be messy in that process too, but I I emerge from it like, oh, I do get to fall apart. There is a place that holds me. I'm so resistant. I am so resistant that I've had to like structure a practice. And this is just kind of my own, you know, my practice, Mm my, my, way of meeting my needs is this, I always have a daily practice and it's evolving to yeah. meet, meet where I am. But that one is just really interesting because it has all the components that we're talking about. And it almost gives like a reference point, mm-hmm. this place that I so crave, which is like, could somebody else freaking hold this 
with me. That's it. I don't need to offload it on anybody. I just, can we just remember we're all connected and we're all holding all this stuff, right? And we can do it together. And there are places where we can let things down just for Mm -hmm. a minute. Doesn't that sound good? So good. Yeah, I have this, I was in this meditation myself the other day where I was feeling, I was like telling myself this story that I was feeling like this kite that had like a really loose, it was just like kind of so willy nilly, like the the rope, the like tether to the earth was so small and the kite was just kind of flying all over the place. And as I was visualizing it, the, the kite kind of came right above over the earth and the that rope became like an umbilical cord down mm-hmm. and then f- the kite was no longer a kite and it started to be this tree with them like an increasingly large trunk that mm-hmm. was like centered around that umbilical cord which i think is a similar concept to what you Love were just imagery. describing it was so delicious when that arrived it felt like such a gift because the reframe for me personally in that moment from I'm like this kite with this like <laughs> like just, just fly away nobody notices to feeling so just like the strength and the breadth of that tree and that connection to the earth mm. was really nice and I agree you know that the surrender to being to putting things down and to being held by the earth is so powerful and something that I really love about it as a metaphor for me in holding space to others is how neutral it is. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not, there's none of that perfectionistic pressure on the other end to hold it perfectly. What does that even mean? Or to do, to, to be highly skilled in any sort of way, right? Like it's enough to be the ground on which things are laid down. And that that is such an act of service. That's beautiful. That Yeah, I find that really empowering on the flip side, too, of thinking about, you know, how do I hold space for things in a way that it's not that it's not active. And it's the word performative is not what I'm looking for here. But that like urgency of I'm supposed to know what to do here. Mm. Is, right. not a, I, I feel like that's kind of non. It's a version of non-attachment. Yeah. Just being really present with the moment and being in that emptiness and whatever arises, mm-hmm. is what arises. And then we, we just meet that next thing. Right. And it, there's nothing linear about it. Mm-hmm. So relaxing to be in space that way. And it's so healing for people who, I mean, I love the tree metaphor because mm-hmm. it's like you're holding this tree space and you just are the tree and the people who come and enjoy the shade are just enjoying the shade. And it's just this perfect reciprocal thing. We don't have to, we do not have to do so much. Mm-hmm. We do not have to do so much. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, in my work and also in my parenting, like as someone who really likes to be in there, getting it done and making it just right. Right. If I could just like step back 5%. Mm-hmm. just step back and do a lot less something miraculous usually happens in that space yeah because there's just like room for something besides what i want or how i think it needs to go or that urgency the urgency is really a key factor that comes in when we think we have to do something for somebody right 
Yeah. Well, and I think too, it's never intended in this way, but it can be experienced in this way as not a lack of respect, but a lack of belief, right? If I'm exerting my idea or my thoughts or something here, bypassing, well, two things. For me, two things are happening. The first is I'm bypassing your ability to figure it out for yourself and prioritizing my idea over whatever your idea might be. And the second thing is I'm trying to meet my own need for safety by remedying whatever is going on with you as quickly as possible so that I can get back to some kind of equilibrium, which really is none of your business and has, you know what I mean? It's like conflating these two things. Mm. I remember a while ago there was, I had a conversation with my youngest sister with whom I'm really close. And she said, you know, I just want, I just, she's the youngest in my family and everyone's always trying to help her. She was like, I just want people to say, that sucks. <laughs> That's it. Like, don't try and do anything. Don't, I don't want, I don't need help brainstorming. Like, I don't need any of these things. I just want you to, I just want to tell you something and for you to say, that sucks. <laughs> and that's it. And that's very good communicating yeah. around you know, what you need. Great boundaries. Yeah. And, you know, that piece, it took me a long time to learn that, that piece of I am trying to help so many people all of the time. But mm-hmm. what I'm communicating in that effort is that I don't really trust or respect your ability to help yourself. I think that my ideas are better than your ideas, even if, of course, I'm not doing that consciously. No, no. Part of the the challenge with being a person of service. Yeah. But then that second piece, too, of where am I trying to shore myself up or keep myself safe because I am discombobulated by being in the presence of you and whatever it is that you're grappling with. And that, for me, particularly from a parenting perspective, okay, like is mothering. so hard <laughs> because it's tr- you know I my my kid goes to we live in the same town that I grew up in and I had a hard time, especially in elementary school, and I was really bullied. And it is a constant practice every single day for me to not project any of that onto her and to not you know we're very similar, and I am being reintroduced to so many parts of my being that were kind of sanded off or shaved away over the years because I did they weren't received well. Mm. And so I see her in them and she's just like, so, God, this morning she had these like long, she had dreamt about this hairstyle, these long red ribbons in her hair. And she was saying, this is just my style. And she was oh. like floating around the house and she's in first grade and she just like, she wears these bell bottoms that she calls her bell pants and she loves them and she's just so into how she puts herself together and i'm like oh my god i just i the idea that people would be making fun of her behind her back or something like that would be so destabilizing for me it is such a daily practice to not guide her in such a way that I think it will make things easier for her, which is already based on a faulty presumption that I know what will make things easier for her, but based on my own experience. Yes. That's That's a a walk. That is an edge that a conscious parent is walking. I I think a conscious parent who is also 
a helper, right? Our tendencies are to get in there more than maybe we need to. And it's that stepping mm-hmm. back for me, just, you know, I'm a little bit further down the path on parenting, but oh yeah, Big um, for me that the thing that has helped me here and also helps me with my work is trusting in the other person's path, mm-hmm. no matter what, meaning, you know, okay, son, you're, you're doing this thing. You're, you're in a different path. than I thought you were going to be on, I trust you at this deep level, like who you are as a soul, as an incarnate being here, learning your lessons. I don't actually know what lessons you need to learn. Mm-hmm. I am your mother and I am here to like, kind of just like keep you from, you know, going off the cliff. And beyond that, I have to like trust you and wait for you to say, what do you think about this? Or, you know, how does this, and that's a little bit more mature version of where you are, but just like, I trust you. And even with clients, it's like, I know that, you know, I know it's right here. If we could just like get you in your body, get you connected to your heart, your body, your soul, and get super aligned, I know that you have the answer. And so just that shift for me allows me to be more relaxed in myself, that sense. Well, we co-regulate with everyone, right? But I don't have to have that sense that I need you to be okay for me to be okay. Right. Because I actually trust that you're okay. It's just this like simple little on the whole concept that I actually need to do anything. Mm -hmm. And when someone trusts your path, it's liberating. Totally. Because you can just be like, whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do to learn your lessons. I had a teacher who once said to me, you don't know. You never know the lessons a soul needs to meet. Same for your daughter. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's in her full creativity and we want to protect that. I mean, of course, it's hard not to want to protect that. And then every path, every stage they go through, we're revisiting ourselves at that age. And so we have to like do our own healing and keep that away from our kid. At least that's what I have tried to do, but we don't know what they're going to experience to get their lessons. It's just a frame. that's helpful. Yeah, no, I agree. It's really helpful. And I think that, you know, it's one of those things that is also just done imperfectly. Of course. And I think oh, yeah. you know, Absolutely. that's the piece that I find so useful too. Mm-hmm. It's like sometimes it's easier than others. And yeah, you know, reparenting yourself alongside your kids is the trip that I did not know I was signing up for. <laughs> in becoming a parent. I just, I mean, I knew it intellectually, but I didn't get how visceral and deep that healing would be. Quickest path to enlightenment, I jokingly say, but it it really does show you all the places that you haven't excavated. Well, and to be so pressed up against the edges of your life, you know, Mm. especially like my, my kids are kind of sleeping through the night now, but Yay. Just, you know, barely and most of the time, but it's even that, like the lack of sleep, the Mm. lack of quiet, the sensory overload, the, I mean, my six-year-old will wake up, she'll wake up talking and she talks literally, her talks herself to sleep. Like just the amount of input too. Mm. And so, you know, before I had kids, I was just whatever. I don't know what I was doing, frankly. I mean, I was just like, (laughs) 
eating scrambled eggs and watching TV in the middle of the day, I imagine. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, that piece too of being, whenever something really big and overwhelming happens to you, being pressed up against the sides of your life really shows you those fault lines in such Mm -hmm. an acute way. And I think the pandemic did this for so many of us. You know, these big moments where the overwhelm is high, the things that you don't know, the uncertainty is high, and you're just trying to figure out how to hold it all really shows you where any of those cracks are in such an illuminating Mm -hmm. and surprising way, which always seems amazing because, of course, in those moments, you never had less of capacity to deal with those things as they arise, but you have to. I love that this is where our conversation is naturally going because we're talking about, to me, the leadership of being a mother, right? Mm -hmm. What does that that look like in all of its, it gets to be messy, right? It gets to be beautiful and it gets to reveal these places in us. And that's where we learn so much. And from what I, I don't know everything about your work, but what I understand is it's in those spaces that you're helping people learn to not let go of themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? And even if they can't get a full day of what they think they need, like how can they get a little bit, how can you tend to yourself in little ways in these moments where you think that you have no capacity, right? As a restorative act to mm-hmm. the self, you know, I'd love to just veer a little bit into your, yeah. so I know that you have this new book, Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. I'd love to hear about that and just, you know, hear about your work and why it matters, why it matters. Sure. Yeah. So I just wrote a book. It's called Needy, How to Advocate for Your Needs and Reclaim Your Sovereignty. Woo-hoo! And it's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, amazing. It... I, yes. Let's celebrate. Thank you. <laughs> let's celebrate you doing that. I mean, I'm sure that process is something that could be really interesting to talk about too. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I wrote this book during the height of the pandemic with a nine-month-old baby Mm. and edited it during a year where it was arguably the hardest year of my life, where we were caring for uh, one of my partner's best friends received a terminal diagnosis early last year and passed away in October. So we kind of reoriented our family over the course of the year so that my partner was living with him for much of the year. I was home by myself with the kids. And then ultimately he lived with us Mm. in our house. And so, and so the book, you know, was really written under these kind of heavy Mm. circumstances, which of course happen. Right. They happened to all of us and was written with this basic premise of no matter what is happening in your life or in the world around you, that you matter and Mm. your needs matter. And that actually, no matter what the circumstances, everything is made better when your needs are honored by you and others advocated for. And, and brought into the center of your life as much as possible. Because for many of us, myself included, um, we have this pattern of putting our needs, you know, punting them out somewhere, like right out there on the yeah. other side of this, whatever yeah. this is. Yes. And this doesn't really matter because what matters is the pattern. 
and that there will always be something that stands between you and getting your needs met. Hmm. And getting out of that pattern requires us to learn about how to do less and to do it more often and to have it be less perfect than we want or need it to be and to make compromises and not and also not make compromises right like figure out this way of being able to honor the fullness that exists inside of us even as we are heartbroken sometimes that those needs aren't met because yes you know i was taught my i was conditioned in such a way that Mm. why bother why bother acknowledge something if you're not gonna do something about it immediately right Mm -hmm. so there was this immediate censoring that would happen because a need would rise up I would have no capacity to meet it or no understanding of how to meet it. Or, you know, maybe it was a need that came up in a relational capacity. And it was so scary to think about advocating for that need or to wonder whether that other person was going to be responsive to it or to even just think about broaching that conversation that I would shut the door immediately. So starting to even have that space of I can need things. I do need things. We all need multitudes of things every single day. And some of those needs will conflict. Many of those needs will be inconvenient. We're not going to get them all met. But we're certainly not going to get any of them met if we're not willing to identify and honor them within ourselves and advocate for them out loud and in the presence of other people. Oh, I love the way you're saying that. I think just that concept of honoring our needs and being willing to advocate for ourselves and also knowing like there's this piece with that that I love that you're saying, they don't always get met. I know. They don't always get met. And that you can have a tantrum there. Yeah, please do. (laughs) Right? It's like, you know, I think that is such a powerful message because what I see is a lot of just stopping short because Mm. People go to the, I can't have it, or mm-hmm. how, how will I have it? Or will they mm-hmm. do the thing I need them to do versus just like, I need a nap. Mm-hmm. I need a nap. I need a nap. Don't know how it's coming, but I need one. And mm-hmm. usually like holding on to that. I know personally that happened this morning. I woke up and like, oh, it's Friday, right? Fridays are always just like, why do I always have so much scheduled on Fridays? <laughs> Because I've already done a big week, right? And then I woke up this morning. I was thinking about your work last night because I was showing the kids, well, here's this work. My younger son and his girlfriend were here and I was showing your website and her eyes got really big, you know, because she's like, oh, you know, this is a 16-year-old young lady. who's like, oh, that's a thing, you know? And so I went to bed thinking about your work. And the first thing that happened when I woke up today was like, we had a huge storm last night. So it's really rainy. I'm like, I just need a long walk on the beach. Oh, but I have this whole day. Mm-hmm. And so immediately, you know, waking up, you're right against your needs right away. Right. Yeah. And so for me, that's like this struggle place. And then I'm just like, I'm going to have a walk on the beach today. Mm-hmm. I don't know where, I don't know how, but I'm having one. Right. So just like holding on and waiting for it to arrive. I mean, maybe I will, maybe I won't, but at least I'm honoring myself. I'm sure I can like pull over and have a beach walk some somewhere today. Yeah. 10 minutes. But that's what I love about what you're saying. It's like the power of it is in honoring it and Mm -hmm. 
saying it and being creative around how it gets better. Does it get mad? Am I getting it right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny because people always ask me, like, this is your body of work. So probably like your needs are getting met all the time, and which <laughs> <No>. <laughs> is categorically untrue. Wait, and what we need to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is because mm -hmm. I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And also we're coming through this really intense grief season and kind of putting our lives back together. And that means that a lot of things that I want to do professionally or personally that are independent of my family, those things are being put on ice. Mm -hmm. And part of this that I think is so important is that we have a conscious understanding of what we are up to. So for me, those things are on ice with full understanding that those needs matter, they're valid and good, whether or not they're met, I matter, I'm valid and good, whether or not my needs are met. And also I'm actively choosing to prioritize this part of my life, you know, after this last year where, you know, my partner and I weren't really living in the same house, my kids were really overwhelmed by that fact that they were spending a ton of time with me, but not seeing my partner a lot. And, you know, we're all, we both work from home. So they're used to seeing us after the pandemic. We were all together the whole time, right? Their whole lives. Mm -hmm. And so all of these shifts. And so I am looking at my life and making the conscious choice to utilize my energy in this specific way. And that means that these other things that I might want to do, like go on a solo trip for a week or two, or go do, you know, I'm leading a retreat actually in Tuscany this fall, which I'm really excited about. And that's, you know, so I've kind of been like thinking about that's out there in the distance. It will happen. Hey. Because you acknowledge all of your needs doesn't mean that they're going to be met. Mm. And it kind of doesn't always matter whether or not your needs are met. That's not, you know, we think that's what's going to satisfy us. But I think what satisfies us is having this working understanding of what am I doing and why? Mm -hmm. And is that aligned with my values? Mm -hmm. Right? I have this overarching need to be living my life in such a way that it's aligned with my values. That's really yeah. important to me. Yes. And so what needs I'm meeting and when and why are all a part of that equation. And it's not that I don't want those needs met, of course I do, but what I really want is to have the sense that I am doing things intentionally. Mm -hmm. And so that speaks to this piece that I think naturally happens when you start to converse with your needs where what you think you need may not be what you actually need. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like there's this kind of front facing thing. This happens all the time with my partner where I'm like, I want this thing. I need this thing. But really what I need is to feel like I matter to you. Mm -hmm. And there's a multitude of ways that that need can be met. I'm perseverating on this one thing because that need matters so much. But when I take that step back, I'm able to see, First of all, likely there's a lot of ways that you're showing me that I matter to you that I'm overlooking because I'm perseverating on this one doorway that I want you to walk through. Yeah. And beyond the things you're already doing, there's a lot of creative ways that we could team up together to meet that need if you're not interested in walking through this one doorway that I'm perseverating on. Right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. that piece too of 
we get highly focused on the one thing and sometimes the one person too. Yeah. We say, I want this person to meet all of my needs, which is an unfair expectation on a setup. And the more we can zoom out, we can see that there's just an entire galaxy of creative possibilities for how to get our needs met. And there may be a need underneath the need that we can satisfy in from multitude of angles. So how would, one of the things I'm thinking of, like how somebody listening to this, how would they work with that? Um, there's a couple things that come up in my mind. One is like, how would I feel? What do I want to feel? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's your language. Yeah. You know, this thing that I think I have a need for, you know, what is it that I really want to feel there? And can I hold that a little bit more openly, mm-hmm. a little bit softer without letting go? There's sort of this dance. Because I think when we get super gripped like this, it has to look a certain way. It's got to come through a certain person. It's got to be just this exact thing. We lose what we actually really want, right? Yeah. It becomes, and we get actually really dysregulated. I, I don't know, me personally, I get really dysregulated in that place. And it's just like, whoa, time out, mm-hmm. I'm out. What is it I'm even doing here, right? I guess that gets yeah. to your intentionality piece, especially yeah. in relationship, I think this comes up, right? Oh, Can yeah. you just like take a moment and I remember what this is even about and hold it a little bit. And the imagery, I keep doing this because it's like about receiving to me. Yeah. You know? And we have to, I think we have complicated relationship to receiving. Oh, yeah. It's just like, here's the need in my hand. And I just want to offer it, uh, you know, to whatever goddess, God, universe, nature. Like, this is the thing. And trust that that is, gets back to that trusting that true needs can be met. Right. And it doesn't have to be, you know, my partner doing the thing exactly this way on this day with a certain tone in their voice and, you know, all of that stuff that we do. Guilty as charged. Yeah, same. Uh. (laughs) I'm like teaching what I need to learn. It's just like, yeah, yeah, it's can we, I don't know. There's so much in this topic Mm -hmm. around like, and everybody's in different places with this, right? Yeah. For me, I can, I'm, I'm pretty clear on what I need. I can come forward and I can get very focused. So my job is I need to work on softening and opening. Right. And so I think there's just, it's really important for people to know, like there's all these different access points to it. Mm-hmm. And I really like what you're saying about just going a layer under mm-hmm. need to really figure out what that is. How does that shift you? What is that giving you? What does that feel like? when you get it. Yeah. Yeah. And so another access point that I like to utilize myself, well, actually, let me, let me say this. I don't like to do what I'm about to tell you to do, but I (laughs) really benefit from doing it. I hate journaling. I love to write. I hate to journal. And I am the queen of thinking. I've seen this from every single angle in my mind because I'm, you know, been perseverating on it for days. And I've like, my processing speed is so quick and I'm like doing all the work and I'm being my own therapist in this moment and all these things. (laughs) When I actually take a pen and a piece of paper and I start writing things down 100% of the time, I am surprised by what I've written and it has illuminated an aspect of the issue that I have not previously considered. Hmm. And so I like to ask myself two questions. The first is, what would I ask for here? Or what do I need here? If I could really allow myself 
to need anything. Mm. And the second question is, what is the need beneath that need? Mm. And sometimes that's accessible, sometimes not. But that helps to kind of, you know, it's sort of like a, what do you want? What do you really want? What do you really, really want? Have you ever done that journaling exercise where you keep asking the same question? I find that irritatingly useful as well. Mm. But using that writing process to give voice to what is inside of you. And I like to think about it like a pitcher. It's like I'm like pouring out whatever is inside of me because usually it is just at that point. Um, such a mess. And our, you know, acknowledging that our conditioning is such that we do become really obsessed sometimes with seeing things and getting them from a very specific perspective and you know, especially for me when it comes to romantic relationships, yes. the idea that a relationship is right and good if you are wholly seen and met 100% of the time. <laughs> Otherwise, that relationship is in massive jeopardy. And as an anxiously attached person, that being in that massive jeopardy is just a field day. That is a story that I am constantly working my way around and starting to realize, hey, there are different people in my life that are going to see and understand me in different ways. You know, there's things that my sister will understand about me that my partner never will. And there's things about me that my partner gets that my sister would never want to do with me in a million years. Mm -hmm. And that that is okay. That doesn't mean, you know, this, that, you know, that conditioning can be so thick of this is my one person. And what does it mean about me? What does it mean about the relationship? If there's not like this unconditional, I don't know, I don't want to say unconditional positive regard. I think that that does exist. We don't have to necessarily understand something to regard it, but that twin flame feeling (laughs) that they're just you know we we do want part i love this this is such the heart of it for me too also anxious attachment style the idea i feel like one of the insights i've had on this recently is like in that place i'm kind of outsourcing my needs and power and putting it in the hands of another and then saying i'm okay i'm only okay if they need it right and that is so such a disservice to myself actually Right. right. And and that's not saying like the partner can't step in and meet those needs or, or you know, at times they really do need to. That's not mm-hmm. there's so many levels to this, but like that realization, the need belongs to me. Mm-hmm. And if I'm putting it out there and then making this good or bad or you good or bad or me safe or not safe based on your participation with my needs, that is a freaking minefield to walk mm-hmm. through in a relationship. And I've put some people through it. <laughs> people i mean i am guilty it's just i can really relate to this space yeah well and our also with our needs too right it's like this is messy yeah this is messy vulnerable vulnerable yeah. work well and it's like what am i outsourcing that i am unable or unwilling to do for myself you well, know i'll give you just a real example from my own life there's always that that's um, not fun frame. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had this, <laughs> I had this feeling the other day where I was like, I really want my partner to be giving me a lot of words of affirmation about my physical body. You know, I 
just was like in a moment of like being caught in my own body image snarl. And I wanted my partner to rescue me from the pit that I was in, which totally fine thing to, you know, want your partner to affirm your body. I mean, I'm going to normalize that. That's, that's real, of course. But in that moment, I was not able or willing to do what I was asking for for myself. Mm-hmm. I was, when I got really honest with myself, mad at myself, grieving, frustrated, struggling to accept cer- certain aspects of myself. And instead of working on my relationship with myself, where the primary wound was occurring, yeah. I was trying to hook them in mm-hmm. to this whole thing to like momentarily feel better. But I know well enough to know that would be, it would feel good, but for a moment. And then it would feel hollow again. I would need more. I would need more. I would need more. It would be that hungry ghost feeling. Because what I was trying to mitigate was something that was happening inside of my relationship with myself. Mm. And a, a place where, sure, absolutely, other people can help and you know it is supportive to for example have my instagram feed filled with bodies of all different sizes to follow different people who are loving and accepting of their bodies in a very verbal way that you know in front of other people that i could hook into those things help but my partner rightly wanting nothing to do with this conversation because they could see this is like a bottomless well that I'm going to spend my whole life pouring into. And me wanting to take that personally, like this means something, you think something about me because you're not willing to get into this with me when it's not that. They're unwilling because they've, we've been together for 15 years. They're unwilling to get caught into something that only I can provide for myself. Mm. And so I think this happens too, where we expect other people to do for us, or we expect them to read their mind or read our minds. You know, for so many years, I believed that my needs were only valid and worthy if they were somebody else's idea. Like if somebody else, you know, thought, hey, you did such a hard, you did so much hard work today. You should take a nap, right? Or that my partners, that that's what love meant. That's what we do for each other is that we are, our function is to know what the other person needs without them having to say a word, right? The conditioning around needs is so thick. Yes. Yeah. And there's so much room for misunderstanding. So much. So, so much. This is so layered. This is such a layered conversation. I really like the fact that we're in the layering and the messiness of it because I don't know, when I work with mostly women on this, there's so much resistance to need. Mm -hmm. And it's because of all this conditioning, Mm -hmm. right? That you're naming, you're naming like so many different levels of conditioning of why it is so challenging for us to even say, we are worthy of having need. Like just that is kind of a radical thing, right? And there's more conversation going on that I feel like your work is allows for the messiness that's why it's so appealing like there's it's okay to have these conversations about yeah we get to ask for it we get to want it and we have to do it inside and our partners can show up and help us with like there's so many nuances because that's the real world 
this is the real world yeah. right here. It's not just, I have some self-care and it's like my physical, my emotional, my spiritual, and here's a checklist. It's not, and there's, that's never the case. And at least in my work, it's not right. But, but what you're sharing, especially relationally, because I think we do so much trying to get our needs met there and the messiness of that is such an important conversation. And there are times mm -hmm. when we don't need to do it ourselves. I just want to say that too. There are times yeah. when we really, I mean, I love the frame of looking inside and trying to meet your needs. And, but there are times when we, it's okay to just totally need the other person to do the thing mm -hmm. and to have that be in here too. Totally. And I think for that piece, you know, where I see the personal responsibility is that it's our job to ask for what we need and or set up the conditions in such a way in our relationship so that we're able to receive in moments when we're unable to ask mm. so yeah you know like That's... you may not always be able to ask for what you need in the moment but you can kind of talk about talking about it at another time where you're not in that like acute moment of struggle where you might be able to say, hey, so for example, <clears throat> I talked about the anxious attachment. So I, I get really spun out in conflict and become increasingly agitated in the conflict to the point where it's like, you might think we're just discussing something casual and I think we're like on the brink of our relationship falling apart into pieces. And so being able to name in advance outside of an active conflict moment, hey, you know, when we talk about this and I talk really fast, I have a really fast processing speed, things are going really quickly. My partner, much less so, is much more apt to become flooded and need to press pause in the conversation. Totally fine and valid for them to need. What I need in order for that to be okay is for some kind of knowing when we're going to loop back yes. yeah. and also like some kind of touch touch point mm. you know where it's like i love you but i can't talk about this anymore mm. we're gonna have to revisit it tomorrow or something like that so talking about talking about it you know outside of that active moment or even you know something deeper it's like if i am truly spun out the thing that really supports my nervous system is physical like like heavy pressure where you know a weighted blanket will work for this somebody it. like smooshing okay. down on my my whole body will work for this so in a moment where i might be really spun out and really unable to advocate for myself in that present moment having it built into my relationship because I've asked for it mm -hmm. um, in advance that my partner knows this is what she needs when she is in this kind of space. Here's or even if it's a few things that are offered, you know, but that kind of, I think when we think about advocating for our needs, we think like, oh, well, what happens when we need something, but we're unable to talk about it? And if we take a longer view of our relationships and think about how we can advocate for our needs outside of the acute moment of needing it so we're kind of priming the relationship to be able to get those needs met and you can do that too right that's a beautiful before we have to stop chatting which i could do this all day why does this matter 
So we're talking about why does this matter on a bigger scale? What does this do for us to have a lot of people in touch with their needs, getting their needs met, empowered around speaking up? What what difference does this make? In your in your mind, if everybody were able to advocate for their needs, begin to get them met, you know, what how would our world look differently? What are we really working on? So I think that we get a lot of pushback around self-care and even being in communication with our needs as being secondary to community building efforts or, you know, being of service is of higher value. It's like that there's this like navel gazing aspect to working on your relationship with yourself. And I am curious genuinely if we don't know ourselves, how are we able to be in relationships with other people in a way that is emotionally honest? Mm -hmm. And what is different in all of our relationships when we are able to have straightforward conversations about our capacity, our likes, our desires? I find that when I am in relationship with people who are doing this active work around honoring their own needs and being able to advocate for them, there is this level of emotional honesty, certainly, and intimacy, but also you can trust them. Mm. And that trust, that foundation of knowing, you know, I have me, you don't have to take care of me. You can ask me if I'm available for something. I'm going to answer that question honestly. And that trust, I think, enables us to build partnerships and networks of relationships that are so much more useful, are so much more solid. And we need this in the world today. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to think about how I am the vessel for everything that I do. Right? So for my parenting, for my work, I do a lot of volunteer work around affordable housing in my area, a lot. All of those things. I am the energetic a vessel for everything. And if I'm not in good working order, then I'm creating instability in so many of these places of my life that I care about. Mm. And my old way of doing things was to front load the things that I cared about and care about myself later. But having been deeply and acutely burnt out, you know, I realized what a disservice actually it is to put myself last. And what a disservice it is to my relationships to say what I think they think I should say or be who they want me to be instead of being who I am. And it is vulnerable. Absolutely. I don't want to underestimate that. But there's a truth to it and there's a trust that can be built on it that I think is life changing for so many of us, especially those of us with anxious attachments. I hemorrhage energy into wondering what other people are thinking and wondering whether or not they really wanted to say yes to that thing. Or do I see that they're tired and they're saying yes, but I should be protecting them. There's so much energy that that goes into that. And if we were able to have explicit conversations about where we're at and what we need and what we're available for, then we could we would be able to reclaim a whole host of energy and repurpose it for anything that we wanted. I love that vision. So really heals relationships, Mm -hmm. creates authenticity, trust. What I hear you talking about is 
being sustainable, like a sustainable vessel, mm-hmm. right, for our creations. That that concept feels really important instead of not a part of the picture. Yeah. And one way that I like to think about it is like what I'm putting into the creation is part of the creation. Yeah. And so I have a a responsibility and not that's not Mm -hmm. supposed to be a heavy concept but you know if i am exhausted and i'm putting that into a creation of any sort that is woven into the creation it's not good or bad it's just a fact and we can't always be completely full and on and in the highest i'm not a fan of that concept but just remembering like i'm a i'm a thread in it i'm a my my presence in the thing matters and how i hold myself in that matters and so yeah. just that frame of like, it's not selfish. Mm-hmm. It's actually yeah. the opposite. It's actually being part of a whole beautiful, you know, tapestry where I'm part of that and I'm honoring that instead of just, you know, the putting yourself last piece is the selfish piece. Mm-hmm. Actually, <laughs> I mean, because then yeah. you're not in a place where you're, you aren't sustaining yourself. You know? Well, and I think too, honoring that your experience of your life matters beyond the whatever it is you're producing or whatever it is you're pouring your energy into it's like your life is made up of all of these moments and it is okay for these moments to feel good yes can we get a yes here like yeah radical actually part of our purpose in our life is to enjoy it and feel good yeah i mean just that Mm-hmm. That is just the meaning of it. That's so important. And that doesn't mean you have to do it all the time, right? I want to be really yeah. careful there. Like, yeah, we get to feel good. Well, Anne, how are you supposed to feel good if you don't know what you need? Like, I think that's the thing for me about needs is that it is the answer to all of the questions mm-hmm. that I am asking. Mm-hmm. Because it's the data mm-hmm. about what I require in context. You know, that's what makes it more satisfying. That's what makes it more joyful or brings more ease or more intimacy or authenticity to my relationships is my needs, knowing what they are and getting them met. And so when it comes to conversations about self-care, I hear from so many people that their self-care is so hollow. They're like, well, why bother? Because it doesn't do what I want it to do. Like, well, because it's prescriptive instead of responsive to yeah. what you need. <laughs> what you need is a vital ingredient. You cannot bypass that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that this is a real, can be a real game changer when it comes to knowing like, well, what is the thing? What will make it more satisfying? What will make my relationships feel closer? What will make this experience more enjoyable? It's like, well, what do I, what needs do I have and how am I meeting those needs in a multitude of ways? The way you talk about this, I think is so important because it puts the power of it on the person, not on an industry or a formula. It's like, it's right here. Mm-hmm. Really right. I think that's when I talk to people, they're looking for, I don't know, how do I want to say this? It's been commoditized, right? It's been commoditized and sold to us. And so it doesn't actually feel good or feel empowered. But the way you're talking about it is like this living, breathing moment by moment inquiry has nothing to do with, you know, what we've been told it is. So how do people find out about you and your amazing body of work? Well, they got the book 
right? Yeah, get the book. It's called Needy. You can get it in all formats. I read the audio book, which is really fun if you're an audio book listener. Are you um, the, is it your voice? Yeah, it's my voice. Right. Is that it on the shelf behind you? Yeah. Can you show? I want to yeah, see. Yeah, I can. Okay. Lovely. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Very fun. feel like to hold your own book? Feels nice. Mm-hmm. It feels really good. It is really weird too. You're like, it's a book. I just had a um, a book launch party where I signed like 40 books. And the whole time I was just like, look at me <laughs> signing my own book. It was so, some of the, some of the things I signed were wacky because yeah, the process is just so, it is so wild. It's something I wanted uh, my whole life as far, as long as I can remember. So it feels really nice. So you can read the book um, and you can also find me at maraglatzel.com or on Instagram at maraglatzel. And you have a podcast also. I do. Yes. Also called Needy, okay. where I have conversations like this with people about what they need. Ancient voices spill the secrets. That's it for this episode of Magnolia Leadership Podcast. Having you here is such a blessing. As a Magnolia woman, we are leading from our deep aligned power to bring our full bloom to ourselves and our gifts to the world. If you're inspired by this podcast, I invite you to share it with someone or leave a review. Sign up for our newsletter or one of Magnolia Leadership's upcoming in-person or online offerings at magnolialeadershipco.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, so much love to you.